Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to yet again another episode with the collaboration of the Beautiful Game podcast and Eurosport. I'm your host, Budge. I'm joined by my faithful co-conspirators, Dot, Dej, and of course, Pete Sharden from Eurosport. Gents, how are we doing? Very good. Very well. Very Great good. stuff. Very good. Great Excellent stuff. night of Champions League football. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, of course, um, we are regrouping after the first leg of the semi-finals have been played. And of course, we had hoped and anticipated that this round of fixtures would bring a lot of talking points and a lot of uh, things for us to discuss. And they both certainly lived up to those expectations. Certainly the most recent game that was played between PSG and, and Man City. And of course, we're going to start off with that, not just because of the fact that it was the, the most recent game played, but because of just how end-to-end that game was. Now, of course, the, the, the preamble to that game was that uh, PSG were uh, winless in, in their previous three matches against City in Europe, uh, having drawn two and lost one. Um, and of course, in their previous uh, knockout tie back in 2015-16, um, in the quarterfinals, City won 3-2 in aggregate with, with uh, of course, Kevin De Bruyne uh, scoring the winner at the second leg at the Etihad. So it was... It was it was certainly finely poised going into this, and of course, you you guys will remember that a, a lot of the, the chat that we had last time round was the fact that you've got two big European heavyweights with a lot of on, uh, questions to, to to be asked and answered uh, on on both of their parts, and and I'm going to come to you to kick things off, Dej, because if if I recall uh, um, correctly, the big question that you had was, can City manage that crazy 10 minutes yeah and I think they certainly had to manage a crazy 45 minutes in the first yeah. half of that of that uh, of that tie but but lead us on this one what are you, what are your key thoughts and takeaways from the game yeah as we knew this tie was sort of the glamour tie between the two obviously Real Madrid Chelsea PSG Manchester City it speaks for itself you know a major sporting cast Neymar Mbappe De Bruyne Foden so Everyone had their popcorn ready, you know, in, in anticipation of what was to be. And as you mentioned, the first 45 minutes, it was looking, you know, very nip and tuck. I thought Neymar was in his element, you know, playing like he was in the playground park. 
you know, with the skills and the just lovely, intricate play. And we were thinking that this was going to be a theme of the game. And if it was a theme of the game, then Manchester City would be in trouble. Um, obviously, PSG got the goal. I think if everyone predicted how the first goal was going to be scored, we would have probably said a Foden blast, a De Bruyne, a master blaster, or Mbappe breaking through the channel, skinning someone up, or Neymar scoring a goal. But this was a set piece, you know. Um, you know, um, Marquinhos getting the header to put PSG ahead. And you're thinking, hmm, this is the crazy 10 minutes. How are PSG going to, or how are Manchester City going to react? Are they going to fold? Are they going to rise? And to be honest, it was the latter. I was very, very impressed with how Manchester City handled themselves. It was a poised performance. It was an experienced performance. Again, this is a team that has gone through a lot of adversity and trauma over the past few years in terms of semi-finals and quarter-finals. And I thought the way they handled that second half was fantastic. The best way to control Neymar and Mbappe is by having the ball and not playing any sort of square passes that put you in trouble. And I think second half was sort of a non-event in terms of PSG attacking. And that was all testament to the way Manchester City adapted and controlled PSG. A hundred percent. And I know a, a lot of people after the first half were speaking at, uh, about just how well PSG were holding the ball and the fact that they certainly were performing uh, to a, a very high level technically and, uh, and it was a very mature performance from them in that first half. Pete, are you at all surprised with the, the, the changes that Pep made or, or, or the way that City went about that second half? Is that, is that what you expected? I, so I was surprised initially in the first half. I thought they were really lackadaisical and I thought that that was a really strange decision from Pep Guardiola. But having watched the entirety of the game, I actually think what they did made a lot of sense. I think Pep knew exactly what PSG were going to come out and do. They were going to blitz them like they blitzed Bayern Munich. And he backed his team that even if they scored a goal, his team were good enough and organised enough that across 90 minutes, they would still win the game. They just had to weather that storm and concede only mm. one or obviously none at all would be ideal. And I really think, I mean, Mauricio Pochettino spoke before the game about how he, he was going up against the best in the world. And I think tonight was a really good example of why Pep Guardiola is paid as much as he is and he is considered as one of the best managers in the world, if not the best, because I think he got pretty much every decision right. Again, I was a little bit surprised to not see Raheem Sterling start. But again, you look at the course of the game and how it played out. I actually think it worked pretty well. Raheem Sterling wasn't the player that was needed for the game that Pep Guardiola wanted to play. He wanted to sit, defend, be tight, and then in the second half, just dominate the ball, as Dej said. And that's exactly what they did. So actually, while I was surprised at the time, looking back on it, I think it was a real masterclass from, from Pep. And I think it's probably... Not, not a stretch to say that that's his best European performance since he's left Barcelona. Yeah, no, fair play. Very, very interesting. I think also you, you raise a really valid point about Raheem Sterling because early on in that game, I actually felt that Raheem Sterling might have been the better choice to start with because I saw that they would keep, they continue to try and play into that right-hand channel uh, in behind uh, uh, Baka, the, uh, the PSG uh, left-back. And it just was like, Mares wasn't realizing that that's what they were trying to do. It was like he kept on trying to come short and and play with 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 Carl Walker. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, when you look at it, at the game in its entirety, for full ninety minutes, of course, um, you know, him him getting the goal as well in in Riyad Mahrez, 
you know, you 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 can say, of course, that Pep will certainly feel vindicated in his choice to start him over Sterling. Um, Doc, I wanted to ask you because you know we spoke about um, uh, a, a little earlier with with Dej when he spoke about the fact that the the goal, the first goal uh, in the tie, um, came as a bit of a surprise in terms of the manner of the goal. We were expecting an individual uh, bit of brilliance or you know, some in, in, individuality. And it came essentially from a, a whipped-in free ki- uh, uh, a corner, sorry, from Angel Di Maria, um, which Marquinhos got on the end of. And I suppose we could probably have a, a, um, a, an entire episode uh, alone speaking about man-marking versus zonal marking from uh, from corner uh, from corners and set pieces. I, I, I suppose I wanted to really quickly get your take on it in terms of, you know, do you think zonal marking still still works? Why do you feel that coaches persist with with zonal marking instead of man marking? Well, you asked me the tough questions. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think I've always been a, va- a fan of a, a bit of both at the same time. I think, you know, if you've got that towering centre-back in defence, maybe you can say, listen, you just mark that six-yard box, that space in between the goalkeeper and their attackers, and you take command. Whereas someone, you know, like a full-back, maybe you may put them on, an, on a man. So I think mm-hmm. how it works best is that I think once you get that collective unit drilled in a zonal shape, if you get it right, you're going to defend most mm-hmm. of your corners properly. But I just think the delivery um, from PSG today for, for set pieces were exceptional. And I don't think there was much Man City could have done about that goal. I just think it was a wonderful, well-worked set piece, if I'm being totally honest. Yeah, yeah, no, 100% fair play. And and, and now, of course, with, with the uh, tie looking, you know, strongly in, in, in um, uh, City's favour, with, of course, the two away goals... Going going back now to the Etihad, um, how how best do you feel Poch approaches that game? Are you are you confident that um, you know he will be able to deploy tactics to to get PSG back into the back into the game and back into the tie? Yeah, do I you think... back do you back them to score at the Etihad? Yeah, I do. I do. I think playing away from home probably suits PSG a bit better. Obviously, the lack of fans makes it a bit different. But I think, you know, Man City, they're going to come out. They're going to play their football. They're going to dominate possession. And I think PSG are going to play without any real pressure because they're expected to now go out. So I think that may help them. And I think Mbappe, Neymar, Di Maria, they can just play freely and just have fun. And I think that's probably when PSG are the most dangerous But I said it in the previous round when they beat Bayern Munich that I wasn't convinced on this PSG team. I think Bayern Munich actually battered them, but they were very fortunate that they took their chances. And I think mm. when you look at PSG's style of play, to win the top tournaments, I don't think their style of play stacks up to the best in Europe. And I think you cannot play like that every single game and expect to win. We're seeing teams that are now winning are the teams that are dominating possession, that are playing on the front foot, that are controlling possession, that are, you know, a unit. And with PSG, when I watch them, it looks like it's individuals. And if Neymar, Mbappe and Di Maria don't turn up, they're going to be found wanting. And that's what mm. we saw today. Mm. I'm going to say something that's going to rile Spurs fans. And I don't, I'm, not, I'm, not trying to, I'm not trying to do it. But this is, this is 
this this performance tonight was so eerily similar of Pochettino's Spurs team. They played some unbelievable football for 30 to 45 minutes. They then couldn't react when their opponents out-tacticked them. And then all of a sudden, they're a goal or two down and they just start putting in these petulant little challenges all the time. And that interest on a gay tackle was so dangerous on Elkai Gundogan. They could have, especially for Gundogan, who's a player who suffered so many injuries. And all I could think, yeah. I mean, okay, and this is probably a bias because I'm a Chelsea fan, but all I could think watching the second half was the Battle of the Bridge. That's mm-hmm. all that came to my head was when their players completely lost their heads. And I understand like some of some of the reasons that makes Poch a great manager is the fire in his heart and what makes him it's what made him such a, a great player and it's what made him a great manager. But he doesn't seem to have a handle on when to let bring his players in. He just gives them such a long leash and they don't mm. know he doesn't seem to bring them in. And he, you can see his face, it cuts him as Gay was walking off. And like he knew it was a bad tackle. He couldn't defend it, he couldn't say anything to the fourth official. And there's nothing, there's nothing more like telling than the fact that like all you could think about if you went onto Twitter was Everton fans saying like never seen that from him before like, it's not the type of player that he was like he's just he's just come out of nowhere and it's because Poch gets them so fired up it's what makes him such a unique manager he can instill that confidence with his rousing team talk but he's got to, he's got to be better in those big moments of keeping his head and letting his mm. players keep theirs because it's, it's not the first time we've seen a Mauricio Pochettino team lose their heads in a big game and I think, I think Dot's right. I think they will be better be playing without pressure, but they've backed themselves into a hole because of the stupid way they played that second half. But I think that's what Manchester City do to you. I don't think that's necessarily a Pochettino. Those players were out there for 45 minutes chasing shadows. You know, they were being bopped off the park and they lost their heads. We saw them lose composure. And, you know, I think we've got to give credit to Manchester City because mm. enough times we've spoken about Pep losing his rag or Ilkay Gundogan came out a few years ago, I think after the game against Tottenham and said, we're overthinking things. But this is a time where, you know, Pep, to give him credit, got it right. You know, the best way to sort of control an Mbappe and Neymar is with the ball, to monopolise the ball. And they got frustrated. And I even remember in like the 52nd minute, Neymar went over to Mbappe and said, like, what's going on? Like, we need to be pressing. It's too easy. We're camped in our own half. And... I just wonder whether Mbappe was still feeling the ill effects of coming off as a substitute on the weekend against Mets because he had a nasty injury and it was mm. actually a doubt for this game. So mm-hmm. we will never know if he was fully fit and ready to go. But as we mentioned, obviously, Manchester City, huge favourites to get into their first Champions League final, you know, scoring mm. two away goals. I think that's key. I still expect PSG to score at the Etihad, but I also expect Manchester City to score as well so it's an interesting tie but I would say Manchester City are firmly favourites going into this one May I just add one more thing about um, today's game I think when you look at PSG I know Pete was quick to say look Pochettino needs to rein his players in but I kind of understand the frustration because there's one thing conceding two quality goals but I think the goals they conceded will do your head in because you should never be conceding like that. One was a cross that, you know, went into the bottom corner. Another one was a basic free kick straight down the middle of the goal. And somehow, Riyad Mahrez is banging it in and you're 2-1 down. And all of a sudden, you're like, hold on. We've just conceded two soft goals and now this tie is hanging on the thread for us. So I can understand the frustration from PSG's point of view. And I think 
no one will mention it, but Zinchenko, when he came on, he actually had an excellent game at left back. The way he was monopolising the ball, making the right decisions every time he got the ball on the left side, playing in field when he had to, retaining possession. I think he was crucial to retaining that pressure on PSG in the second half. Yeah, No, I agree. I agree with what you're saying. Yeah. And I, I agree with Dej as well. But my issue is that I think the difference between someone like Pep Guardiola, who's obviously won a lot of trophies, and Mauricio Pochettino, who has not, is that I think that in that situation, in, th- in that moment, when you realise that City had changed and when you realise, okay, right, they are now coming for us, then I think you just sit, just let them have that ball. Because we've seen that as a as a potential blueprint of a way to beat a Guardiola team. There is no guarantees it would have worked because as City have definitely proved over the last two or three years, they can work around a deep block. They haven't got any issues with that. But I just think, as they said, something was going wrong with the press in the second half. Again, maybe it's the Mbappe injury. But if that is the case, then that's where you react and then you sit and then you actually just let them play around you. And you've got you've got the players to counter. Like, they had opportunities. Like that one time they tried to get Mbappe and Edison got out quickly to make the clearance. Mm. So it was a possibility. Like it's, it's hard because like this is the this is the highest level of professional football, more or less. And we are talking about the finest and finest of margins. And it feels I feel bad criticizing Potter, especially when he's only been there for five or six months. And I think he will get he will get better and learn from this game. But I think it's a good example of what what we talked about with him before. Like he still has learning to do on the biggest stages, and it it's a it's a growing pain. Like Klopp had to go through it with Dortmund. He obviously lost that final, and they had some games where they looked unbelievable. Obviously, think back to when they obliterated Real Madrid, but then they lost. So you will get better, and you will learn. Klopp got there later on, and he won the Champions League. Poch is still a young manager; he will get back here. And I think I what I'd like to see in the coming seasons is like an actual like demonstration that he's learned that his high his high press like sort of kamikaze football doesn't always work. And I think to, in his defence, I think towards the end of his time at Spurs, he was doing that. I think he was learning. I think he was cut short unfairly. But I think with PSG, it's a different kettle of fish because you are dominating most games you're playing in France. So then when you come to Europe, you have to suddenly get all 11 players to adjust and that's harder. Yeah, I, I really love Pochettino, but I think his method may have actually been found out because we saw... You know, the final days of his time at Spurs were absolutely horrendous and hideous. And we've seen him be very inconsistent at PSG. But just going back to Dej's point on Kylian Mbappe, obviously Dej mentioned the injury that he picked up on the weekend, but we know that Mbappe is a luxury player. He's not one that's going to be tracking down defenders, setting that press. So you're asking Mbappe to do things he doesn't want to do. We saw that against Bayern, though. I thought he actually played like sort of a sacrificial role. Um, especially in the home game, he was running around doing the dogged hard yards. Yeah, he's quite typically... selfless in that game. He, he, yeah, he was yeah. always putting it on a sixpence for for Neymar. That was the question we had about Poch, though, wasn't it? When he went to PSG, mm. it's very easy to like Harry Kane's just come back from seven loan moves. Like Deli Ali's come from MK Dons. It's very easy to get those players to buy into your philosophy. Mm. Can you get Neymar and Mbappe to buy in? I think he is to an extent, but yeah, I think. That, yeah, the problem is, is that in uh, Liverpool are the perfect example. When when one part of the press doesn't work, then the whole thing falls apart. Mm. And I think that's what that's my worry with Poch and PSG is does he have the players at his disposal to make it work? Final one on this uh, on this one before we move on to the other tie guys. I want to go around the, uh, the the room and I want you guys to tell me 
one player that stood out for you for a good reason or a bad reason in this tie. Um, so it can, it can be either they stood out to you because they were they played particularly well or they stood out to you because they played particularly bad. Uh, which which player in this particular game, in this particular tie, was that player for you? Dej, I'm going to kick things off with you. Who was the um, player that stood out to you? I would say Ruben Diaz. I think there was a few times during the game where Neymar and Mbappe got close to him and he'll give them crunching tackles and... That was something I haven't seen from Manchester City in knockout ties. If mm. I remember in previous years against Liverpool, they've been fallible. Defensively, they've panicked. But he was mm. sort of like a bastion of consistency and a bastion of this new Manchester City going forward that, listen, we've got a new mentality. Defensively, mm. we're solid. We're going to score goals. And we're a top-table European side. Fair, fair play. That's a good shout. Um, how about you, Pete? Uh, I know he lost, but I'm going to go for Marquinhos. I think he's come under a lot of criticism over the last two or three years because he's not Thiago Silva. But I actually think he's really stepped up over the last season or so. And I think you could realistically call him one of the best five centre-backs in the world, at least top 10. He's yeah. He can do pretty much everything. He's great on the ball, reads the game well, terrific in the air. And he's a, he can tell he's the, he is the emotional and like spiritual leader of this team. Everything runs through him. Mm. And I think... I, I think he's going to probably stay where he is for now, but I, I God, I'd love to see him in the Premier League one day. Yeah, yeah, he's got all the attributes, hundred percent. He's going right to the top. Um, and, and how about you, Doc? Yeah, I'm going to go for two, two fullbacks on the day. I'm going to go, you know, <laughs> Zinchenko um, for Man City. I think he was excellent in the second half. And I think Baka, he's really impressed me for PSG. He was very solid going yeah. into tackles, winning his 1v1s. He gave Mares a very good, you know, yeah. battle today. So I think he played well. Some very, very good shouts. I'm very, very impressed. Um, what about but, you, Bunch? You don't get up. That's very that? true. Oh, who, who caught my eye? Um, I wasn't. I wasn't expecting that one. Who caught, who caught my eye? I think... Um, I think I'm going to go... Ooh. I think I'm going to go Neymar for his first mm. half performance, right? And I think it. the reason why I'm going for him is just because, of course, there are a lot of Neymar detractors and a lot of people who feel that um, he hasn't, you know, in terms of his performances, particularly on the big occasions, he hasn't necessarily lived up to expectation. Um but you can, you can see, uh, particularly in, in the way that he performed in that first half, that when he's on song, there are few players in world football that you can say are better than, than, than Neymar. And he just seemed really, really up for it. It was a very, very accomplished uh, and composed performance from him in the first half. And I think, you know, if, if things were, were a little different on, a, on another day, he could have got one or two goals um, in, in that particular time. I was really just really impressed with the way he went about his work in that first half. He caused um, C all kinds of problems. So, so I'm going to go with him. I'd no, say. Well said, well said, bro. The other uh, um, semi-final fixture, of course, was between Real Madrid and, and Chelsea. And, and the backdrop to this one was that Real Madrid had actually faced Chelsea more often than any other side in all competitions without actually winning in their entire history. 
So they failed in all their uh, previous three matches against Chelsea. Uh, one, one draw and two losses. Um, and of course, Chelsea are no strangers to this stage of the competition. Um, you know, they've played in eight uh, UEFA Champions League semi-finals, more than any other English club. So again, it was an, a, another fixture that was finely poised. And, and what we saw early on in, in that game was that um, Zidane and, and Madrid changed their shape a little bit and they decided to, to opt for a, a three at the back, which was, I think, uh, certainly a, a key talking point ahead of the game and, and, and one that uh, was, was very interesting, particularly when you look at how the game play, uh, panned out. Um, Dot, we're going to kick things off with, with you on this one. How did you see the game? And are you at all surprised with the end result um, at the end of the, the first leg of this tie? I am, you know. Real Madrid are strange. Um, I watched the game yesterday it's and I was wrong. like, how, how have they managed to <laughs> draw this game 1-1? Like, it's like, they played at like maybe 60% or 70%. They were really poor, but they mm. somehow drew the game that they should have never actually drew. I think Chelsea should have beaten them yesterday. Mm-hmm. But what I would say, I think the conditions didn't help Real Madrid because I've never seen Luka Modric lose the ball so many times. Tony Cruz, I can't yeah. really remember him in the game. And I think Chelsea just had too much energy for them. And we always said it, you know, on this podcast that, let's be honest, Real Madrid, they want the game at their pace. And if you take it away from their pace, they're an average team because they don't have the legs to keep up with the physicality and the pressure that these Premier League and intensity that these Premier League clubs play at. So I think Chelsea will be kicking themselves because win that game, Real Madrid are going to be better in the second leg. So I think if you were really going to put your foot on the gas yesterday, you had to put Real Madrid to the sword because they were there for the taking. And just... Quickly, one positive for Real Madrid was the performance of Karim Benzema. And I argued mm-hmm. on this platform that he's arguably, you know, the best striker of this generation in the last 10 years because the way he's just delivered for Real Madrid year after year after year, he was in the shadows of Cristiano Ronaldo when Ronaldo was the main man scoring 60, 70 goals a season, breaking every single record in La Liga. But the way Karim Benzema has taken the mantle to be the main man at Real Madrid, he deserves all the credit and he goes down as a true striking great of this generation. Well, well said, because I, I think particularly on the part of Real Madrid, it looked like their their only chance in that game was through a Benzema moment of magic. I, I remember there was one chance that he uh, he took a touch, turned and, and, and hit the post. And I was thinking, well, this guy looks like he's up for it tonight, you know? He looks like he's up for it. Um on, on the flip side, so we're to, of course we're talking about uh, how, how well Benzema played. On the flip side, um, you have uh, Chelsea centre-forward in Timo Werner, who, who I personally have, have um, felt for a little while that he could do with a spell on the sidelines just to rebuild his confidence. Um, of course, I, I don't think that that is an, an opinion that's shared, by, uh, shared by, by, by the rest of the guys on the panel, but... Um, of course, he, he missed guilt-edged chances. Um, and you even said it there, Dot, that really Chelsea should have come away comfortable winners in, in, in that game. Mm. Going forward and, and, and in, in the next leg, 
for example, um, and maybe this is one that you can shed some light on on for us, Pete. Do, do you think that um, Chelsea should persist with starting Timo Werner in that in that game off the off the performance of of, of the first leg? Yes, Does he pose enough threat. Yes. Um... For me, this was the first game we really saw. I hate, I hate to use this phrase, but I'm going to do it. This was the first game I think we really saw Tuchel ball. Like I actually think it was the first game where everything sort of came together for Chelsea. There've been little flashes here and there of what he's trying to do, and I think we really, when he came in, I think everyone was everyone was really keen to stress, like, look, he's got to build this up here. Like his system takes time to learn, and he will just do what he thinks is right until the end of the season. He's got a job to do, which is to get Chelsea in the top four. He won't give a flying whatever about how his team play as long as they get in the top four. But you can see the work on the training ground now. And they are, the pressing was remarkable. And really that a lot of that stems from Werner. His energy and his work rate is second to none in this Chelsea team. Even Christian Pulisic and Mason Mount can't keep up mm. with him. So I think, yes, he's obviously super frustrating that he's missing these chances. I do think the first one is a brilliant save from Thibaut Courtois. No, but... Hey, no, hey, no, hey, it is. It is a brilliant save. Obviously, it's, it falls into that category of striker's got a score, but it's a great save. And no, I'm, but you've got to make the keeper null and void in that situation. You've got to take him out of the equation. I thought yeah, Bernard could have placed it, you know. Yeah, but... Yeah, but, but he's, it's he's, one he's, of those... It's one He's, of those ones there, and um, Pete, that you just make contact and it's a goal. I'm not gonna yeah. lie, it's harsh on Werner. He, he like he missed the chance, <laughs> but any other player that hit the ball like that would have scored. But because it's Werner and the form and the vein of confidence that he's in, he missed it. That's all it yeah. is. I don't think it was a horrible miss, if I'm being totally honest. No, but but I think it's a situation where don't give someone a chance that doesn't have one, and he gave Qatar that chance. I think yeah. you should have put him out of the equation and scored. Well, yes, okay. That, I don't disagree with you. But if we're going to do that, we're going to be doing that. Let's go back and do that for the last 25 games. Even the West Ham game had a chance where you said he should not be given a chance there. He should be burying it. Like, he is not the same player we saw at RB Leipzig. And I, like there is a myriad of reasons as why that could be the case. And I don't know the ins and outs of how he settled in or whatever. But he, I think it's it's clear that he brings something that no one else in this Chelsea team brings. And I think that's the critical difference between this and the Fernando Torres situation. Torres was working hard, but he didn't have the pace because of his knee injuries. So actually, he wasn't really bringing a lot to Chelsea. And often at times, he felt like he was just being played because he was a £50 million signing. With Werner, he's not playing like a £50 million signing, but he is playing like someone who has a role in the team, a clearly defined role. And slowly but surely... Christian Pulisic is starting to be the player he was under Frank Lampard and the player everyone thought he would be under Thomas Tuchel. And I think he's the X factor between now and the end of the season for Chelsea. It's not Werner and it's not Mason Mount. We know what they can do. If Pulisic can go on a run where he gets, say, six goals and three assists or something like that in 10 games, that's what's going to propel Chelsea to the final and to the top four because his combination of pace and close control is really quite something. And if you've got Timo Werner, Christian Pulisic and Mason Mount running at you at pace, I don't care who you are, that is scary. And if Chelsea can find enough goals to support Werner, then I think they've got a really good chance. The problem is, is that, as Dot said, Real Madrid were playing within themselves 
and really like in the last 10 minutes you would say they probably could have won it like they had chances there Chelsea were, <laughs> Chelsea were almost holding on which was like, such a weird situation and like again I've got to give more love to Benzema because I think like everyone has forgotten what sort of player he was at Leon. he was such a highlights package at Leon. he was playing like Neymar and Mbappe wrapped up together like he was doing everything under the sun flicks tricks 25 yards free kicks like he was back heels he was doing everything and then for whatever reason this guy had the ego to be able to put that to one side for Ronaldo and for the team and I think we no I don't think anyone really ever appreciates him enough um and I think that's right he will go down as one of the greatest of his generation um but yeah I think for Chelsea can you do that again can you shut Modric and Cruz out again does Kante have another one of those games in him those are the questions that Thomas Tuchel is going to have to ask over the next few days. And I think he, I think he does. And I think we've got to give credit to Thomas Tuchel as well. OV spoke at Chelsea. People are probably saying, you know, this is a project for the future. But I think this is a project for now because he's gone into that team, seen where the weaknesses are. He's had that inside knowledge of the German players of how to improve them with Werner, Havertz. We're starting to see that. And Antonio Rudiger, he's a big one, in my opinion. He's a massive leader. I was even speaking to someone close to him today about his future and how sort of it all went wrong under Frank Lampard and the mentality and the grit that he showed to get back into favour. And what he's doing under Thomas Tuchel now is he's one of the top five to ten centre-backs in the world, in my opinion. Wow. He, yeah, <laughs> yeah, wow, yeah. that is a yeah, top, top ten. I think top ten. No, no, top ten in terms of what can't he do? Like, there was times during that game, Benzema had the ball in the channel and he was thinking, you know, I can't do much here. I'm going to have to go backwards. But he shows that he's got that mentality to drive his team forward. And I think what Thomas Tuchel done that impressed me also was in that second half, he could see that, you know, Pulisic, Werner, they're tiring now. I'm going to go for a bit of control. Brought on Kai Havertz, Ziyech as well. Those nice technical players. And he sort of kept Roman Madrid at half, you know, arm's length and said, you know, we've got our goal. We've got our way goal. We're going to sit up, go to the second leg and try and win the game. And I think you definitely have to say Chelsea are favourites going into this mm. one. Because as we said, Real Madrid are a team that rely on that individual brilliance. Mm. You know, Modric and Cruz, they're not going to skin past three, four players and really knock it into the back of the net. Modric has got that in him, but I don't think maybe he can produce that nowadays. But... Yeah, I think Chelsea are the favourites to go into the final. Do you know what, Dej? That's, that's a perfect segment into my next question. Sorry, Doc, did you want to you yeah, add something to that? I'm having a bit of an issue with what Pete was saying in terms of Pulisic being the X factor for Chelsea from now to the end of the season because we've spoken about this player, Kai Havertz, on previous occasions, 80 million signing, big money transfer, dubbed as the next big German star. Where does he fit into this team? Because I said on the previous episode, Pete, that he's not good enough for Chelsea to build a team around him. And the only position that I see him potentially being successful at Chelsea is in that number nine position. And obviously he came on from the bench and played in that number nine position. So what is happening with Kyle Havertz? So to be clear, your issue isn't that I'm saying that Pulisic is... The X Factor. It's, it's, it's more that I'm not saying that Havertz is. <laughs> um, yeah, look, I mean, I, I don't want. Yeah, I don't necessarily want to rehash what we said last time. Like, 
like the habits signing hasn't worked. Like you can't, there's no way you can look at it after one season and say it's worked. That's just ridiculous. But I think as, as we said, like Thomas Sucre is doing what he can do now to get his team into a Champions League final and a top four. I think a lot of people thought that there would be a lot more loyalty to the German players because of his previous connection with them. But I think actually what Thomas Tuchel is proving is that he will very much pick on merit. And yes, Timo Werner isn't scoring, but he's bringing a lot to the team. In the games at Bar Crystal Palace, in the games that Kai Havertz starts, he isn't really bringing a lot. That is an issue that you probably have to deal with in the summer, whether that's like an intensive training session over a course of like four or five weeks where you actually nail down a position for Kai Havertz and you get him to lock into like, say, one of the two tens or the false nine. And you then he knows what he's doing because obviously feel bad for the guy. He's been moved about a lot this season. But right now, you haven't got time for that. You can't, like you're playing Saturday to Sunday. You haven't got, Saturday, Wednesday, sorry. You haven't got time to try and figure this out. And I think that's, it's a, it's a big problem in the sense of like, yeah, you would really, what he was bought for was for these moments. He was bought to be the player. We thought his movement and his awareness of space would be, well, not quite Thomas Muller-like, but similar in the way that he mm. sort of exploited that and he could provide a different sort of uh, threat for Chelsea. But that hasn't happened. And it hasn't happened in the last two weeks since we spoke. And it's, I don't think it's going to happen in the, in, the, <laughs> in the next like three or four weeks between the end of the season. I think you don't, you don't give up on him. You give him another season at least before you think about what you do. But it's, it's worrying because you can see a way in which Werner's very successful at Chelsea. He just needs to go on a run. He'll be fine. He's mm. playing well. He's working hard. Havertz just looks lost. And that's that's the worry. And I think I really don't see him starting many games for the rest of the season because why would you? Fair shout. Fair shout. Most definitely. Um, I wanted to go back to a point that Dej um, made earlier because it was a perfect segue to my next question in that both managers made at least three substitutions. So for, for Real Madrid, uh, Zidane brought on Eden Hazard for Vinicius, Marco uh, Asensio for Marcelo, Rodrigo for Benzema, um, and Audrey Zola for Carvajal. And then on the flip side, um, Tuchel brought on Kaya Havertz for Werner, Ziyech for Pulisic, and Rhys James for Azpilicueta. When you, when, you, when you look at both of those um, uh um, ch- transfers in terms of both clubs. W- which set of tra- um, sorry, not transfers uh, substitutions. Which set of substitutions do you feel had the greater impact on the game out of the Real Madrid subs and the the Chelsea subs? When you look back at the point that they came on, who do you feel had had a greater impact on the game? I think probably Real Madrid because I think Hazard had a few good touches I think in and around the box he was looking a bit sharp I know he's been ravaged with a catalogue of injuries since you know moving to Madrid but he actually looks sharp and he looks like he may have a big say in the second leg because I expect him to start and we all know that Hazard playing to the best of his ability is one of the top five or six players in the world so I think in terms of Real Madrid's point of view it was get Hazard 20 minutes get him some game time on the weekend and then getting fit and firing for this second leg. I'd have to say Chelsea. I think 
at that point in the game, Werner and Pulisic ran their course physically. They were spent force. And mm. I think what Ziyech brought to the table was that control, that technical security. Because the game, as we mentioned before, Real Madrid were having chances and stuff like that. But when they came on, it sort of nipped that in the bud and they looked more secure that, OK, we've got our way goal. We're just going to play football. We're going to see out the clock and try and settle this at Stamford Bridge. Fair play. One, one apiece to uh, Chelsea and and, and uh, to Real Madrid. Pete, you're the, you're the deciding vote. And he's a Chelsea fan as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was going to say, I don't really think they made much of a difference either way, to be honest. I think the, first, I, I think the starting okay. 11s, I think the starting 11s ran those games. I think the subs slowed everything down. I don't think that was necessarily a problem, but it, it looked pretty obvious from, say, 70, 70, 70, 75 minutes onwards that both Zidane and Tuchel were pretty happy with the draw. It didn't seem as if they were really going to be pushing for a winner because they were obviously pretty caught, pretty cautious about being caught out on the break. Mm-hmm. I think the interesting talking point ahead of the second leg is what Zidane does with his back line because he could have Mendy and Ramos back. Mm-hmm. And I think there's an argument, there's an argument that you maybe start both. Ramos is obviously a huge gamble because he's been so in and out of the team. Yeah. But his experience and big game mentality is pretty good. And I just think... I don't know if he's going to go with a back three again. I probably wouldn't because I think they lost something by not having Marco yeah. Sensio in the team. I thought Marcelo was not as much of a liability as I thought he was going to be, oh. but it isn't. <laughs> but it's not. But he what he wasn't exactly a safe pair of hands. I mean, the problem that, that I I don't think Zidane wanted to do the back three, but I don't think he wanted to play Nacho left back. And with Mendy out, you cannot play Marcelo in a back four. You cannot do it. It is asking for disaster. So I think if Mendy's back, I think they go back to a back four. And then the, who you pick between the two centre-halves is Well, really this is tough. it. On on merit, you've got Eden Militao, who's been absolutely brilliant. You've got Nacho, who's who's performed well, and, and Rafael Varane. So who, who 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 drops out of that back line? Boy, Varane looks iffy, if I'm being yeah. totally honest. I watched him yesterday, very erratic, <laughs> making silly, sloppy challenges. So I think his position may be at risk. And... Mm. A lot of people said that they were having troubles going to sleep last night. Well, I think just watch that second half because it was it was boring. It was a boring <laughs> one. So hopefully that'll put I, you to sleep. I think the only thing that says Varane is I expect Werner to start and he has got rapid recovery pace in behind. And when you think of something like Ramos, obviously he's coming to the autumn of his career. Can he still cope with that movement? Eden Militao, he's got rapid movement as well. Say, so he's he's no slouch. Yeah. yeah. Nacho's a bit more static more like Ramos so I think yeah Varane will definitely keep his pace and let's not forget the conditions as well were atrocious so that had a lot to do with with the errors that people were making no I think last one I think there was a time um, towards the back end of the game I think Kai Havertz was like sprinting with Varane and Havertz just outpaced him and I was like what is Havertz Mm. that quick so I'm not sure if Varane is the same player. Yeah, but he's quicker than Ramos. He's quicker. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and obviously, Havertz, you know he just talking. came on. He came on. Pete, you know what I'm talking about? No, no. I've, I, there's a reason why Varane's contract is expiring next summer. Like, if Varane was the player we thought he was, he'd have a contract locked into 2026. Like... Something's happened. I don't know if it's like... He's picked up a lot of nickels over the years. So I don't know if it's that. I don't know if it's because... 
his head somewhere else. He constantly seems to be flirting with a move away. And I think that <laughs> I just I, United thinks. Yeah, I just don't think I just don't I just don't see how that can not affect a player's performance. We saw it with Thibaut Courtois, like he was his last season at Chelsea was shambolic. Chelsea fans were delighted to get 30 million <laughs> And his first season at Real Madrid was tough as well. But now, now he's playing like one of the best keepers in the world. So like, I don't know, like it's, it's, it's not, the, it's like, I don't know. It's, there's no real reason, obvious reason at least for it. But yeah, Varane is definitely, when this guy came in as I like played for Real Madrid, we thought, right, he's going to be their centre-back for 15 years maybe. Mm. But it doesn't always work like that. And I think I wouldn't be surprised, given how well Militao has played, I wouldn't be surprised to see them move on from him in the summer. If, if obviously they got a decent offer. And I think obviously a lot depends on Ramos. Um, but yeah, go on then, let's do it. Who would you who would you pick as the two centre-halves then? Assume, let's assume Mendy's fit and he comes back, he comes back in a left-back. I'll go with Militao and Varane. Okay. Yeah, I, that's I what I'd go I do. with Ramos and Varane. Okay, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll go for Militao and Ramos. I think Ramos, that mentality... You know, to mm. see his team through, and there could be a penalty. He just always finds those moments in him to drive his team forward. And I think <laughs> he is the personality of Real Madrid. Yeah. You know, without him on the pitch, they look a bit found wanting. They haven't got no real identity at the back. And I think, yeah, Ramos definitely, if he's fit, I would start him. You got a feel for Nacho there. No one picked him. <laughs> Yeah, he's more of a I mean, utility on, man. On merit, on, on merit, I mean, you, you've got for, for me, Militao. On on, if we're talking about purely on merit, Militao has to he has to start. I mean, the perform his performance yesterday, his performance in in, in recent games. I think he he is uh, certainly a defender on, on the up and up. Um, so so what no. certainly one to watch. I mean, Nacho's just a John O'Shea who can pass, isn't he? <laughs> 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 but, but like, it, it obviously like, it comes across pretty, it comes across pretty bad. But like the hallmark of those great Ferguson teams was yeah. that when they had a serious injury, they had a, a squad player who could come in and put in a performance that would be at least a seven out of ten. And I think yeah, that is that is where that is where the great teams separate themselves. And I, it is remarkable that we th- I think of Real Madrid having four very passable centre halves. So we could not always say that in the past. But just to wrap this one up, as we did with the last fixture, highlight one player, good or bad, that uh, stood out to you. Um, this time round, we're going to start off with you, Dot. So let us know who, who rightly or wrongly, stood out to you and, and why. Edward Mendy. I liked his performance. Very commanding. Passed the ball out well from the back. I'm someone that's a bit, been a bit sceptical about him as a top-class keeper, but I think yesterday he showed he's at this, you know, European level. So, well done to Mendy yesterday. I think he was solid. Uh, fair play. Pete? N'Golo Kante. Mm. show. Covered right? every blade of grass. He's he's the best ball-winning midfielder in the world. He's one of the very best midfield, all-round midfielders in the world, and he's just a joy to watch him play. He's just so much fun. <laughs> Dej, how about you? I'm going to go for Karim Benzema. Um, we've already eulogised about his performances, about how he's taken Real Madrid on his back and said, I'm going to be the man to deliver performances for you. And the way he took his goal, like that core stability to balance the ball on your head and smash it in. You know, Edouard mm. Mendy was statuesque. He couldn't react <laughs> until the ball went beyond him. And I think he sort of ran the line and 
when you talk about Romijid having or lacking that X factor in the final third, he has it in abundance. Sometimes he'll dribble, he'll shoot, hit the post. And I think, yeah, if Romijid are going to get to the final, he's going to need another big performance because, you know, they haven't got that individual spark. Vinicius was probably cut off from the game. He was inconsistent. You know, we saw him against Liverpool deliver a massive performance. But yesterday, I thought he was, he sort of looked a bit more raw as we've seen in his previous performances. So, yeah, Karen Benzema. Fair play. I think I've got to go uh, for Mason Mount. I have huge stocks in this player. I think every single time I see him play, it, it's just the 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 energy that he he plays with. You know, it, it's infectious. And and we spoke about the fact that I think it was Pete. You 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 mentioned like you know any team seeing Pulisic, Werner, and and Mount run at them is gonna is gonna is gonna be scared. And I feel like he he's just that kind of player that can get things going. And even in that game, we saw. Uh, you know, occasions where he would burst and, and carry the ball through the the the, the center of, of midfield, and and he 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 always looks like he's going to create something and make something happen. I really quite like his um his shooting technique as well. Whenever he he strikes the ball, he he hits it clean. He hits it he hits it pure, and um and I just think this guy, you know, you know, injuries permitting, you know, if he if he if he can stay uh, fit and 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 consistent. I just think he is going to be such an integral player to Chelsea's successes going forward. Um, so, so, yeah, he, he was definitely a, a player that stood out for me. So we are going to call it a day and leave it there. Of course, both of these semi-final ties are still delicately poised. You know, things can turn on their heads in, in, in the return fixtures. And we're, of course, expecting there to be loads of talking points and loads of things uh, to debate and discuss when we catch up um, next time. We're going to leave it there and we'll regroup again once the second leg of these fixtures have been played. Thank you very much for listening in up until this point. Thank you, gentlemen, for sharing your perspectives and your point of views. And we're going to catch you all on the next episode. Over and out. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 